Do you use sticky notes? I don't know if you use sticky notes. I use sticky notes. i got to have sticky notes. If you ever wander into the office down there, you'll almost certainly find several sticky notes on the top of my desk. Uh, sticky notes are used to remind us, typically, of things that we need to do. So if I've got something that I need to remember, I'll write it on a sticky note and stick it on the desk because I'll see it there. A sticky note as a way of reminder. Did you know the story about how sticky notes were developed? Back in 1968, a researcher with the 3M company was trying to come up with a new adhesive. He wanted to develop a really strong adhesive. And so he, he was working on it. He came up with this adhesive, and it wasn't strong at all. It, it, it didn't stick real good. But it was pressure-sensitive and re stickable you could re it could restick and he got to thinking and they got to thinking and they put their heads together and they decided to use that adhesive on notepads sticky notes sticky notes resulted and no doubt the 3m company made a whole lot more money with that failed adhesive than they ever would have if they had come up with a better sticky glue sticky notes I have some sticky note suggestions for you today. Remember, sticky notes are typically used to remind us of something that we need to do. And I want to suggest to you some sticky notes for us spiritually as we approach the new year. Always at New Year's time, we have the opportunity to sort of evaluate ourselves from the past. We sort of did that last Sunday. And then make some plans and commitments about where we want to go in the new year. And so I want to follow along in that mode this morning to suggest to you some resolutions that we need to make spiritually for the new year. Can we stop here just for a minute to say thank you for being out on this more wintry type day than we've had recently. And apparently by way of the forecast, it's going to be uh, more so, not less, uh, in the next few days. But it's about that time. It's January 2nd, after all, and so we deserve some winter weather. But we're blessed to be able to be here, to be together, to worship God on this first Lord's Day of 2022. Actually, I'm a substitute this morning. Uh, our, our new fellow preacher was supposed to preach this morning. Josh McCord was going to preach for us this morning on his first day here with us. Uh, in his new capacity, and they've gotten sick. And so at the last minute, unfortunately, you have me as a substitute fill-in, uh, but we hope that they get better soon, and we hope that a number of our folks, we've got just a number of folks who are not feeling well, and we hope that they improve quickly. Thanks for being here today. To our visitors, we've got several visitors. We want to say thank you for being here especially. What would you think we need to put on our sticky notes and maybe, I'm not, I'm not telling you you have to, but you may want to get some sticky notes and put a few of these on the refrigerator door. Uh, that, that's where Cindy often posts reminders at the house, you know. Stick a note on the refrigerator if you've got a doctor's appointment or something else. Maybe you want to put some of these sticky notes up around the house. For instance, I want to suggest to you, first of all, that in the new year, we've got to always put God first. And we just need to make a commitment, a resolution. Do you understand the, 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 the word resolution? Actually, you see the, the word resolve in it, don't you? 
And so with a resolution, you resolve. And the word resolve, according to a dictionary definition, means to decide firmly on a course of action. And so we need to decide firmly on a course of action in the new year. It's not what maybe we might do, it's what we must do. And what we must do in the new year is always put God first. A couple of very familiar verses to us. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. I want to emphasize how Jesus repeatedly said it has to be all. I'm not, I'm not privileged to be able to say, I'm going to give 40% to God. Oh, well, I'll do better than that. I'll give 60% to God. I, I, I'll give 80% to God. No, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. Jesus saying, God has to be first. Now, I think that this is a thing that's pretty easy for us to give lip service to. If, some, if, if someone were to ask you, is God first, does He have first place in your life? I think all of us would say, we want to be able to say, yes, of course, God has first place in my life. But I'm going to tell you, in true application, that's a harder thing, to have God in first place. If He really is in first place, then it actually means that He comes before other relationships that we have in life. For instance, if God is first in my life, then He comes before my friends. And if my friends are keeping me from serving God faithfully, then God is first. God's got to come before those friends who may be distracting me from doing what I ought to do spiritually. God even comes before family. Uh, if, if matters in my personal family are keeping me from serving God faithfully, God has to come even before family. God has to become before job considerations. If this job that I've got is keeping me from serving God faithfully, and that might happen in a number of ways in the, on the job, if that's the case, I better be looking for another job because God's got to be first. If my fun and recreation are keeping me from serving God faithfully, putting Him first, you know, I just... Really love to go fishing. On Sunday morning, boy, there's some really... And as spring begins to roll around, there'll be some really pretty Sunday mornings when you just know the fish will be biting out on the lake. i got to put God first. That means I need to throw my fishing pole away if it's keeping me from having God first in my life. He has to be first. And I need to resolve to do that, to always put God first. And so every decision, every action that I take in the coming year needs to be ruled by that consideration. God comes first. Could I just suggest something that follows that pretty closely and is very logically attached to that? If God is first in my life, then I'm going to attend every service. Uh, Again, this one's real easy, isn't it? The idea of faithful attendance. Uh, but I gotta say, it's not always carefully implemented by some Christians. If God is first in my life, then I need to resolve that I will demonstrate that in one very simple way 
by worshiping faithfully at every assembly. In Psalm chapter 122, verse 1, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Notice, how did he feel about that? He was glad. In Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. You know the reason I think why some people struggle with this matter of simple attendance? Because they don't have that feeling about attending. They're not glad when they have the opportunity to worship. In fact, they do it, but they dread doing it. It's almost like, and, and, and therefore if you dread it, you almost look for excuses to not have to do it, you know. But if you're glad, you look for a way. You make a way to worship every time you possibly can. And so we need to resolve. Again, we're talking about New Year's resolution. Right? Let's just resolve that we're going to be present at all the assemblies. Uh, and, and if we make that decision now, could I suggest something to you? If you decide right now that that's what you're going to do, it's going to make your life a whole lot easier for the rest of the year. Because you won't be battling that decision every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. You won't have to be saying, oh man, should I go or not go? Oh, no, just, just make that decision right now. And you won't have to decide about that anymore. The decision will be made. I want to believe that if you will make that decision and follow through with it, even if you're a person who has not had this feeling of gladness about assembling, I believe that that will grow in you and you will come to love it uh, and it will make things better in your life. Could I just get on a soapbox here just for a minute in this matter of attending to make a point about remote assembling or watching on the live stream? You know, we've been doing this for a good while and Kyle does such a great job of, uh, and, and, and the fellows who work with him, but Kyle's our, our, our guru on, the, on putting the live stream out there on YouTube. It's really a good tool. It's a very useful thing. Uh, and, and if you are obviously restrained from being able to be here, if you're sick, for instance, if you're sick, we want you to stay home. If you've got a sick child, we, we want you to stay home. We understand that. And, and the live stream serves as a wonderful tool in cases like that. And we, and we think it's valuable in that way. But I want to tell you, there's some indication that the live stream gets abused. Not just ours necessarily, but live streaming in general gets abused. And people lay out, purposefully miss the assembly and just excuse them. I say, well, well, I can watch the live stream. That doesn't cut the mustard. That doesn't get the job done. I used an expression the other day to Mitchell. I said, that doesn't feed the bulldog. <laughs> Mitchell said, I don't understand what that means. <laughs> well, if it, don't, if it doesn't feed the bulldog, it means it doesn't get the job done. And just watching the live stream doesn't get the job done. You might get some instruction, but you can't participate. You can't be involved. You can't exhort your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be here. Make a commitment to be here every time that you possibly can be. Resolve to do that. Let me suggest another resolution. That is, make it a point to purposefully try to be an encouragement to others. I believe this is really important. Sadly, some Christians, I'm convinced that there are some Christians who never think about how their example and influence impacts others. 
They, they, don't, they just don't seem to think about the fact that they have, the, the, what they do has a power over other people for good or for bad. I'll tell you, the result is when people don't think about that, don't give any consideration to whether they're encouraging or discouraging, people who don't think about that almost always end up discouraging their brethren. All right? And so for the new year, let's resolve that we're going to do consciously do things that will result in encouraging our brothers. In 2022, make a conscious effort to think about what you're doing and to do things specifically that will lead to the encouragement of your brothers and sisters in Christ. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul said, So then we pursue things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Notice this building up of one another. That's what we want, right? We want to be building up one another. But did you notice this other word in that text? You have to pursue the things that build up one another. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to work at that. And so I want to challenge us all in the coming new year. Let's work at being an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a worthy resolution that we all need to make. We need to read the Bible every day. And if you haven't already committed to that, then I'm challenging you right now to resolve to read your Bible every day. I put an asterisk right here. You see that asterisk right there? The reason I put that there is because our daily Bible reading calendar has us reading five days out of seven, right? I'm going to tell you, if you hit that mark, that qualifies to, to the point I'm trying to make here today. I really like that Bible reading calendar. We've been printing it for years now. But I really like it because it has five reading assignments in a seven-day week. And and it, it's almost inevitable that something may interrupt your, your reading routine. Uh, let's say on Tuesday, I didn't get my reading done. I'm a day behind. But I got Saturday. I can catch up. That's, uh, that's the idea of that five-day-a-week reading schedule. And so when I say read the Bible every day with the qualification that if you follow the daily Bible reading calendar and you make five days and stay on target, then you will be doing well. Um, this is really important and absolutely necessary. You know, we do we, we make it a point to do necessary things, you know. It's necessary to eat. We're not going to overlook eating. Certain elements of personal hygiene are necessary. Uh, I need to brush my teeth. I'm going to make a point to brush my teeth. We do necessary things. Bible reading is necessary. And we need to make uh, this. If if you haven't made it a necessity, we want you to do that in this coming year. Now, I'm, I'm, as they sometimes use that expression, preaching to the choir and I think you know what that means. We don't have a choir, obviously, but you understand that expression. We preach to people who already believe what we believe about this. And there are a number of you who are very dedicated to Bible reading and, and have just now finished the Bible for 2021 and are ready to tackle it again in 2022. And I know a number of you have mentioned that to me, and I think that is so good. If you're not one of them, then I want to encourage you to make a commitment, a resolution to read your Bible this year. Why is that so important? In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul said, I commend you to God. Notice, to the word of his grace. What's that able to do? He says, which is able to build you up 
and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Why is Bible reading important? Paul says it builds us up and, and leads to that inheritance which is in heaven. I don't know how you could say it any better than that or, or how you could emphasize the importance of it any more than that. We need Bible reading. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul told Timothy, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. We think here, and even some newer translations will say so, we think that the reading that he was uh, emphasizing there was the public reading of Scripture, which was really, really important back in that day because almost nobody would have had their own personal copy of the written Scriptures now, we're so privileged to have, multiple, most of us have multiple copies of the Bible. They didn't have back then. And so the public reading of Scripture was really important because they had such limited access to hard copies of God's Word. We're not in that situation. We, we have a lot. But I want you to think about this word, or this phrase, give attendance to, pay attention to the reading of the Scripture. That's what we need to do. We need to not just let it sort of be on the back burner. Give attention to it. Pay attention to this important matter. So read your Bible. Here's another resolution that I think we can all make real practical application to. And that is pray more and pray more fervently. We, we live in a wonderful place, don't we? I think sometimes we like to complain about things, but if we will stop to consider, we live in such a wonderful place, such a, a privileged place. We live in a place that is full of all sorts of opportunities. For instance, where we live, you have the opportunity to have running water and flush toilets. Would you consider... Not taking advantage of those opportunities? Ah, that running water thing, that's way overrated. And who needs flush toilets? I can go to the outhouse. It's only going to be 20-something degrees tomorrow morning. I can just go out to the outhouse. No, I'll tell you. I got an opportunity to have running water and flush toilets. You better believe I won't take advantage of that opportunity. And we could, we could multiply examples like that. Have you got your microwave oven? Of course, we all have microwave ovens. That's a fairly new thing, right? But we all got our microwave ovens. Last week, ours went out. It, it just sparked and quit. It was, it was done. I had one and had it reinstalled the same day. I have an opportunity to do that. I don't have to do without that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of the opportunities that are available to me. I have the opportunity to pray to God. As a Christian, I have this incredible opportunity to pray to God. He has invited me to come before His very throne and address Him personally and directly. But then, I neglect that opportunity? Really? I would ne- This is far better than anything else, any other opportunity of life. I have the opportunity to speak to God directly. I need to take advantage of that opportunity. And I, do, I need to do that more and more and more. I need to pray more. And I want to emphasize, pray more fervently. You know, not just going through the motions, not just reciting rote prayers, but actually thinking about it and really spending time devoted to prayer. 
In the text that Tyler read for us from Luke chapter 18, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray not to lose heart. And then he gives that, that, that example of the, I think the old versions used to call it the importunate widow. And the word importunate there means that she wouldn't quit. She wouldn't quit asking. She just kept coming back. This judge was a, was, he was a bad guy. But he finally granted, he decided, I better give this widow what she wants because she's just going to wear me out if, if I don't. And so he gave her what she wanted. Now, if that unjust judge would give the importunate widow what she wanted, how much more so will God who loves us give us the things that we need? That's the point of the parable that Jesus taught. But the, but the principle, we ought to pray. We ought not to lose heart. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Notice, devote yourselves to prayer. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to set aside time every day. And I'm going to devote myself to praying to God fervently. I think that last phrase is, is interesting. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, if, if, if I'm more devoted to prayer, it helps keep me spiritually aware. I, I, I'm, I'm more spiritually focused if I remember to consistently pray. And so I need to devote myself to prayer. We need to seek to convert a lost soul. Now, notice the way I said that. And I think this is an important priority and resolution for every one of us uh, in the body of Christ. Seek to convert a lost soul. Notice I didn't say convert at least one soul. Because that's not up to me, right? That's not up to us. That's up to the person who hears the message and decides how they're going to respond to it. So we, we can't we can't put a quote out there and say I, I need to convert ten, I need to convert five, I need to convert one. There's no quota. Well, we can't set a quota because that would put the 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 burden on us instead of the hearer. But our job is to seek to find those who will hear and obey the gospel. Uh, we ought to be consciously doing this. Again, this requires resolve. It's got to be a priority. And we have to constantly or consistently pursue opportunities to teach the lost. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I want to think, I want you to think about this for a minute. The harvest truly is plenteous. If the harvest was plenteous in the day that Jesus said that, and clearly it was, I want to tell you how much more so today. You know what the world's population was when Jesus was alive? It's estimated that the world's population when Jesus was alive was about 300 million people. There's more people than that that live just in the United States today. The world population today is right at the brink of crossing the 8 billion number. So there were 300 million souls in Jesus' day, and Jesus said the harvest is truly plenteous. There's 8 billion souls in the world today. You'd have to say that the harvest truly is 
is plenteous. There's 25 times more people alive today than there was when Jesus said that. That's the point. It tells us about the importance of this work and, and, the, and the challenge that is before us. And we need to resolve in the new year to seek, at least seek, to convert a lost soul. All right. Here's some sticky notes. You may want to, you know, and if you don't have any sticky notes, I can give you some. They sell them at all the stores. You might want to put some of these sticky notes around the house to remind you. Here's the final one. How about just resolving that I'm going to go to heaven? I'm just going to make up my mind. I'm going to do what I can, everything I can, to be sure that I go to heaven when this life is over. This is sort of a summary point for sure. As it's often said, and I think it's absolutely true, if you miss heaven, you have just missed it all. You've wasted your life, really. If you don't make heaven, when this life is over, if you do not go to heaven, then you have wasted your time here. Miss heaven and miss it all. Of course, that's not even to mention the horrible alternative if you miss heaven. We're not even talking about that. But if you miss heaven, you've just missed it all. We reference this verse so often, this passage so often. Philippians 3, we recently studied it on Wednesday night. In Philippians 3, verse 14, Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven, he said. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I press toward the goal. Would you agree that the Apostle Paul certainly had a firm resolution to go to heaven, he was pressing on toward that goal. I think we'd all have to agree. Paul certainly embodied that that thinking. Question is, do you? Do you have that firm resolution? You're going to go to heaven no matter what else happens in life. And lots of things can happen in life. But no matter what else happens, I'm going to go to heaven. I want to do everything I can to serve the Lord as faithfully as I can. I want to go to heaven when this life is over. There's some New Year's resolution. You might add to that list. I'm not suggesting that's a categorical list that includes every possibility. But that might be some good sticky notes to put around the house just to keep us reminded. That's what sticky notes do. Keep us reminded of things that we need to do in the new year. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to end the lesson by singing a song of invitation. And as we sing this song, make sure as this new year starts... That you're on a right footing with God. That may mean that you need to obey the simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you need to do that, we're anxious to assist you. We'd be glad to study with you more if you need that. If you're a Christian already, but you have been neglecting some things. Really, your, your heart's resolution hasn't been firm. You've been letting down in lots of ways spiritually. You know that. We beg you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.